This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. This is Andre Johnson. David gets the snap, airs it out long, down the left side, wants Andre Johnson, and it's caught! Andre Johnson catches it for a touchdown! Sensational play! You're listening to the eye test for two. and happy holidays to everyone, Ira. Every year around this time, I think of what I like most about the holidays. It's well, snow, family, presents maybe, and sometimes Saturday NFL games. You remember when you come home from college, you know, you could come from college, you could, you could sleep in, wake up about one or two in the afternoon, and then turn on the TV and there'd be an NFL game. There'd maybe be two. But I remember actually back in, on a Saturday in 1972, and you might remember this as well, 1972, although I think you were well out of college by that time, Ira, as I recall. <laughs> uh, anyway, it's Saturday, December 23rd. I remember watching the Steelers-Raiders playoff game, the Immaculate Reception game. Do you see that? Nice. Nice. Yes, I remember that. I, I, I still think that ball hit the ground. I still think it. <laughs> You've got to be a Raider fan, <laughs> my God. Well, well, now we have two more games this Saturday, which just happens to be Christmas Day. And since this is a history-themed program, I was thinking of Christmas Day games that, that I remember most. And first, of course, I think you'd remember this, 1971 playoff game between the Dolphins and the Chiefs, two overtimes. Uh, Gary Apremian won that. Um, but then there's that, another. That, that, was the, that was the game that should have got Jan Stenerud kicked out of the Hall that, of Fame. That's correct. He missed two field goals. That's right. But uh, that's way before our producer, Ian Glenn, at this time, way before then. But there's one that he may remember, and that's the 2016 Christmas Day game between the Steelers and the Baltimore Ravens, otherwise known as the Immaculate Extension. Now, I mention that because you guys live in the Tampa area. Now, Ari, you live in Tampa, and Ian lives in St. Pete. But Antonio Brown, yes, the Antonio Brown who just returned to the Bucks was front and center that afternoon. So if you bear with me, we're going to ask our ghost of Christmas past to join us and take us back to that game, one that was to decide the AFC North when Antonio Brown made a last-second catch that pulled Pittsburgh to victory. So here's the situation, guys. There were 14 seconds left. The Steelers trailed 27-24. They'd driven to the Baltimore Four, and then this happened. Roethlisberger looks, crosser, Brown, he caught it, fights to the goal line, breaks the plane, touchdown Pittsburgh! That might win them the division! Well, our good friend, Mr. Jerry Dulock of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette was there, and we're lucky enough to have him here with us now. Jerry, 
you covered this game a long time, like our and I have, and witnessed dozens of memorable plays in Steelers history. Where does this one rank? Yeah, I, I'll tell you, Clark. Um, of course, everybody remembers the immaculate reception. Well, we called that play the immaculate extension. Um, you know, and he wasn't just fighting off one guy or two. There were actually three, and he took a he took a hard hit right off the bat, and yet he still had the wherewithal and the strength for a guy who's not a 225, 6'5", uh, 225 guy to reach his arm across that goal line. It was it was one of the more uh, remarkable finishes, especially because, you know, when it occurred and where it occurred, you know, against the Baltimore Ravens. And that just made it even more special because every Steelers-Ravens game, is, is, for the most part, is meaningful and special. And that was um, – you know, other than Troy Polamalu sealing the AFC title game against the Ravens, excuse me, with the pick. And then if you, of course, you remember the uh, Troy Polamalu game where he sacked uh, Joe Flacco, uh, excuse me, where uh, Lamar Woodley sacked Joe Flacco, stripped the ball, and Polamalu picked it up to set up a winning touchdown in the final minute. Um, I do. Those, those endings, of course, the AFC title game was the AFC title game. But I would say the Immaculate Extension ranks right between those two for this that series for sure. Um, behind uh, behind uh, Woodley strip sack and ahead of uh, excuse me behind Palomalo's uh, AFC title game pick and ahead of Woodley strip sack in that meaningful game down in Baltimore that put the Steelers into the playoffs. So yeah, it was one it was one of the memorable plays and certainly maybe the most memorable play. Antonio Brown has had enough. Uh, you know, plenty, but that one was probably the tops. Yeah, it's funny. I was at those two other games that you mentioned, and I remember those very well. The, the Palomalo uh, game, certainly the uh, uh, AFC Championship, and then uh, I was at that game with Woodley strip sacked uh, Palo, uh, right. uh, Flacco, and then Palomalo got it, and then I remember Big Ben making a great play down the goal line. We actually threw an incomplete pass, but he was going to get sacked um, by Suggs, and he somehow fought him off through an incomplete pass with his left hand. I thought, what a great play. But the thing about this one that I, re I, I remember, and I wasn't there for this one, but I certainly watched it on TV, that there were at least two guys. You mentioned three. Weddle was one of them. C.J. Mosley right. was another one. And, and right. they Mosley was right. Yeah, and they had him pinned at about the, the one or half yard line. And Brown's not, not a big guy, as you mentioned, 5'10", I think about 180 then, but he had the wherewithal to stretch that left hand over the goal line. And Jerry, you can tell me if I'm wrong or not, but I don't think there were any timeouts left. I think if you've been tackled, that's it. Yeah. I can't remember whether there were or not Clark. Now that you asked me that, uh, I can't be certain of that, but it was just the circumstances of everything and thinking, you know, I mean, he's getting popped by, you know, CJ Mosley's coming in. Um, you know, it wasn't like he fought off a couple cornerbacks. And, uh, you know, there, there were three guys, not all at once, but three guys who were right there and at least touched him or hit him. And for him to be able, while he was being trying to be stopped, reach around across that goal line. And not by much, but just, a, no, just no. enough for the touchdown. It was an incredible play. Hey, Jerry, thanks for joining us, uh, Jerry. Um, Jerry, I'm curious about your perspective on the end of Brown's tenure in Pittsburgh 2018 uh, Jerry he leads the league with 15 touchdown catches it's not like he had a bad year the Steelers are driving uh, at the end of the year and um, what what the heck happened between Brown and, and Tomlin right at the end there yeah Ira you know the whole thing was unfortunate but I will tell you what's what 
ensued after uh, the Wednesday practice. And his behavior was the most insubordinate, bizarre behavior that I have seen, certainly amongst the Steelers. And maybe, I mean, you got to go back. You know, there are just a few isolated incidents. When you talk about the insubordination, where not calling back your head coach, not calling back your general manager, not calling back your owner when they were trying to reach out to him. And, and I, just to refresh your memory, is, is in a practice, on that Wednesday practice, is that, uh, you know, they ran a play and Antonio Brown ran the wrong route, as he sometimes does. And Ben yells to, you know, let do, do it right, let's do it again. And Antonio Brown got ticked off. He threw the ball back in the direction of Ben uh, and walked off the field and it skipped meetings, never came back, and then shows up Monday, a Sunday morning as though he's going to play the game. And I can tell you when the players walked into that locker room and saw several of the veterans now especially walked into that locker room and saw his jersey hanging there as though he was going to play, I will tell you that created a lot of division in that locker room and a lot of apathy, and there were guys, and I remember one of the guys, one of their Pro Bowl guys telling me he didn't want to, he didn't even want to play when he saw that because he was so sickened by the, the lack of, 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 you know, you know, little things have been going on with Antonio Brown for years and years, things he was allowed to get away with. And they thought if he's allowed to play in this game, uh, like I said, that caused a lot of angst among a lot of players, uh, uh, the veteran players. And if you, I don't know if you guys recall this, Steelers played awful that day. They played like they could care less, and they lost 16-13, I think was the final, 13-10 or 16-13 to the Bengals. And they played like they didn't want to play that game. And and then, of course, after that, it just snowballed into Antonio Brown name-calling everybody. And uh, it was just an unfortunate ending to what had been a remarkable run in those that three- or four- or five-year period when he had the most catches of any player in history in a three and four and five year period. Jerry, I got to know Mike Tomlin pretty well in Tampa when he was on um, John Gruden's staff. And uh, I've always liked him, Jerry. He's never had a losing season. Um, What's the relationship now with Tomlin and and Pittsburgh fans, uh, Pittsburgh ownership? Is is it time for a change uh, for both parties? Well, you know, I, I, I always equate the situation somewhat to what happened with Tony Dungy in Tampa, as you well know. Had successful seasons, got him into the postseason, what, three of those four years, but I never got past uh, one win, if that. And they, you know, the Glazier family wanted more. And, and they got rid of him and brought in Gruden, even though Tony Dungy was very successful there. And so Gruden comes in, and what, a year or two later, uh, they go to the Super Bowl. And, and the fans here, um, you know, the last two times they've been in the postseason, they've been embarrassed. Last year against Cleveland, whatever that was, 45-41. And then in 2017, when they were 13-3, and had the number one seed, had home field, and Jacksonville came in here and ran up 45 or 48 points on them as well and ousted them again. And, and that kind of started it. And it's just kind of continued because the two years in between, they had put themselves in playoff position because, um, you know, uh, the year without Ben Roethlisberger, that they were even in the hunt was great testament to Mike Tomlin. But they, 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 they lost their last three games. And last year, 
you know, falling away, losing five of their last six, including that playoff game after that 11-0 start. When they see these late-season collapses every year, three of the last – three, actually four years, um, you know, the fans are a little fed up. And, um, you know, a lot of them want to clamor, time to move on, somewhat to your point. And, um, hey, he's a fantastic coach. We all know that. But, you know, the, 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 the proof is in the, in the playoff footing, and they just haven't been very successful for a number of years now. Jerry, how did laugh when you're talking about the most insubordinate and bizarre behavior? Apparently, you haven't listened to this program before, so uh, <laughs> I want to qualify those remarks. Um, I, I've got one last one for you on Antonio Brown. Um, you, you mentioned his record, and his record over those three, four, or five years was astounding. If you were a Hall of Fame selector, and Ira and I are Hall of Fame selectors, but if you were one and his career ended now, would he have your vote? You know, fellas, I'm a little conflicted in this regard because of how close I am to the situation. And I say that because I don't know if you guys know this. I think you might, Clark, is for five years, I hosted a weekly radio show with Antonio Brown. And I basically liked the guy. I always have. Um, but then I saw the other side what happened at the end. Of course, none of that was personally related to me, but you saw that behavior, as I said, it's the most insubordinate behavior I think I've ever seen. And, and so, and, and yet there's, there are those fantastic numbers. I don't know what the Hall of Fame guidelines are for suspensions, how many you're allowed to have before you can be actually considered for the Hall of Fame. So, you know, Heinz Ward isn't in. I don't know that he's ever going to get in a thousand catches. And, you know, when they name a rule after you, you have impacted the football game. And he right. did with his blocking for a wide receiver. And I'm not sure he's going to get in. Antonio Brown, you know, his numbers are staggering. Um, but as of right now, I would probably, despite what I saw for that three, four, and five-year period, I would probably say no, I wouldn't vote for him, despite my personal feelings for him. One more for me, Jerry, um, and, and that's an excellent breakdown. Uh, kind of reminds me of the Terrell Owens situation. Exactly. Jerry, I, I don't think Brown's career is quite as good as Owens, but I also don't think he has a string of incidents from team to team right. like Owens does. Jerry, here's my question, and it's an important one because I'm going to be filling out my all-pro ballot in, in a couple of weeks. Um, Jerry, does T.J. Watt get my vote for defensive player of the year. Well, when you look at his numbers, Ira, uh, 17 and a half sacks in, in 11 games, and I say 11 games because he's missed two and, and large parts of three others. So to put up the numbers that he has is pretty staggering, and I'm not sure who else would qualify. I think, and I know there'll be some, I mean, strongly qualified. Uh, I think if the Browns won the other night and continued, you know, they'd have been in first place and would have had a little control over what goes on. I thought Miles Garrett would have a strong case. Um, you know, Aaron Donald always does. Um, you know, of course, there are some other guys. But, you know, defensive player of the year, I thought T.J. Watt deserved it last year. And based on what he's doing, Yes, I would say he should be defensive player of the year. But believe me, I understand how that works. And you also have to be on a winning team. And they're, yeah, they're seven, six, and one. But let's say they falter again like they did last year and the year before and the year before that. Then all of a sudden they miss the playoffs and maybe he doesn't get that vote. 
Jerry Dulock, I know you've got a very busy day, but thanks so much for joining us and Merry Christmas to you. Well, fellas, thank thanks. you. It's always good to chat with you and always good being with you. Thank you, Jerry. You got it, Jerry. Feelings mutual. That was Jerry Dulock of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. And Ira, I got a question for you. You're talking about um, Carol Owens and you said you don't think that Antonio Brown has a string of incidents that uh, uh, Terrell Owens did. Oakland, <laughs> New England, Tampa Bay, Pittsburgh. <laughs> I mean, it's well, a litany of incidents. But Clark, for the for the first eight years of his career, he, he really wasn't that big a problem. Yeah, but now uh, he you know, is everywhere he goes. He's made up for lost time. He's, he's made, made up, up for lost time. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you the same question, Ira. I mean, you are a Hall of Fame voter, so am I. But what if his career ended today? He had six 100-catch seasons, including two where he led the league. He had seven 1,000-yard seasons, including two where he led the league. He was a seven-time Pro Bowler, a five-time All-Pro, including four first-team designations. That's pretty key. All-decade. And he was a Super Bowl champion, so he checks all the boxes. Is he or should be? He Should he be in the Hall of Fame conversation? I'm leaning yes, and I'll tell you why, Clark. And to me, this is one of the... Uh, characteristics of a hall of famer not everybody meets it but if you do meet it i think you, you get a you get a gold jacket he i think he was the premier receiver in the national football league for five or six years and if you're that that's tough to keep out of can i think he was the best at what he did for about five years that's a hall of famer yeah okay um i'd, I'd like to add real quick um over, it was actually over a six-year period. He was a six-time uh, Pro Bowler, four-time All-Pro, and he averaged, over those six seasons, averaged uh, 15, uh, I'm sorry, 114 receptions, over 1,500 yards, and 11 touchdowns over six seasons. So he has your vote? I would say yes, yeah. All right. You had in a Super Bowl championship and, uh, and playing a key role in that. Yeah, I, I'm conflicted because it's the same sort of thing with Terrell Owens, uh, Ira. I think if so many people wanted to get rid of this guy, why should the Hall of Fame put him in? I, I would also I, I would also add on that point, too, that T.O., I felt, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, he was more destructive within the locker room as opposed to, I feel like Antonio Brown is a little bit more destructive to himself as opposed to, you know, the teammates around him because the Bucks teammates love him, as far as I can tell, so. And just a word of advice, Ira knows this. Don't get me started on T.O. <laughs> anyway, I want to go back to the Christmas games. You know, it's funny, but I, when I was uh, talking about um, that, that 2016 Christmas game, as, as riveting as it was, uh, it wasn't the most memorable. And I did reference it earlier. The most memorable one was that 1971 game with the, the Chiefs and the Dolphins. It was the longest game in NFL history. I looked it up. It was, it was two overtimes, as everyone knows. Uh, yep. But it was 82 minutes and 40 seconds. And um, it was Gary Premium winning um, the game for the Dolphins, 27-24 and a 37-yard field goal. But in that game, it wasn't Gary Premium that we remembered. Ian Glendon may or may not know this name, but Ed Podolak had yes. 350 yards that game that were all purpose yards. He did everything, and yet they lost. And as you remember, Ira, they lost because Stenrode missed a 31-yard game-winning kick at the end of regulation, and then in overtime, the first overtime, a 42-yarder that would have won the game, too. Do you have to remind me, Clark? I'm a 17-year-old kid in Brooklyn. My brother's a Raiders fan. I'm a Chiefs fan. Now, Clark, some, I've heard some people, and I think Goose might be one of them, 
Rick Goslin, that think that the 71 Chiefs was better were better than the 69 Chiefs. I don't buy that. The 69 defense does. was better. I don't think uh, he does. The 71 yeah. offense was better. Um, and Clark, to be honest, if they played the Cowboys in that Super Bowl, just like the Dolphins ended up, the Chiefs would have lost that game. Dallas was a powerhouse, and the, the, they would have beat the Chiefs. Yeah, I think the 69 Chiefs were the best team of, of those I, of Chiefs. I do, too. You better watch out. You better there not you not go. Not it wouldn't be Christmas if we didn't have presents to give out, right? Yeah, we've got presents here. Ira, you're good at giving presents. So now I want you to start here. Where's your present going? And, and who's it going to? Clark, this is an honor of our guest, Jerry Dulac, who was nice enough to join us today. He was. Longtime Steeler writer. My Christmas present. Goes out to Ben Roethlisberger at the age of 39, Clark. I like give it. him, give him one more postseason run. I one like more. it. And Clark, he's hobbled. He looks like he's about 68. But Clark, <laughs> I looked up his record. Clark, he's won twice as many games as he's lost he's in the lost. regular season. Not many guys can say that. Not many. Don't, hey, don't knock Big Ben for looking like he's 68. Ira, you look like you're 68 because you are. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got, man? What do you got? What do no, you got to I'm, give? I'm going last. I want Mr. Ian Glenn <laughs> to step up to the plate next. Okay. All right. So you know how everyone likes to hang signs up on their walls, motivational things, reminders, you know, dress up the, the you know, everything around you. Well, Yo, there you go. That uh, uh, <laughs> you might, be, you might <laughs> want to turn it upside down, the Canadian's <laughs> finger. Uh, my my gift is going to Brandon Staley and, and the head coach of the Chargers, and, it very, oh. and quite simply, it's just a sign that reminds him that puts him right in front of his computer or wherever he game plans that you can actually get three points by kicking field goals. I like that's it. it. I love that, that, it. That's my gift, and maybe he can pass it along to J- uh, John Harbaugh uh, to give him a friendly <laughs> reminder because. <laughs> Over the last two weeks, those two coaches have cost their teams three losses or three games. Two by John Harbaugh, one by Brandon Staley. There's no word that makes me cringe more than analytics. Oh, it makes me <laughs> shudder. I mean, Brandon Staley, if you want to do that, then just get a computer printout, put it on the sidelines, and let it go. Forget the coach. No, I, 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 I agree. I agree. And trust me, I, 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 I feel I feel like your guys' age because I get lumped in with the old timers because of how I feel about analytics. And it's not just analytics. It's the the blind devotion and the yeah. they're yeah. never wrong. If, if yeah. the play was wrong, well, the analytics were right. But the play decision, I don't know. I, I can't even keep up with it. But Brandon Staley, you cost your team the division. And that's a, that's all I can say. I like it, Ian. Hey, get off my lawn, Ian. Okay, mine, mine is a winning season, just one winning season, one. And it goes to the long-suffering fans of New York City. Ira used to live there. You know what it's like. Oh, boy. Oh, oh it's boy. Like terrible. The Giants just clinched their fifth straight double-digit loss season. They're 22 and 56, dating back to 2017. But not to be outdone, yes, the J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets just clinched their fifth season in the past six years of double-digit losses. And they have a record of 25-68 and 68 in that time. Now, guys, put that together. Uh, you're not math geniuses, and neither am I, but you can do the addition here. It's a combined record of 47 
and 124, a winning percentage of 274. Three words, three words, guys, to describe the New York football that's going on now and has been for the last five and six years. Stink, stank, stunk. That's it. Yes, sir. Right to the point. Yeah, I think they must have liked that, too. Oh, man, just terrible football. Terrible football in New York. Um, this is our kind of weekly I was there, but not so weekly. We have it every so often, just when we feel like it. And you know what? I feel like it today because I was there, Ira. I was there on December 27th, 1987, in Denver. It was the strike season, if you remember, 15 games. This was the last game of the strike shortened season, San Diego, Denver. I had been in Chicago the day before, uh, two days before, too, for uh, Christmas there with my family. So I flew in that morning. Never a good idea to fly in the morning of a game if it's Chicago or, or Denver or Seattle or any of those cities. Um, anyway, I flew in there, a blizzard going on. It was the last flight yeah. to get in. Take a cab to the, uh, the hotel. Hotel we used to, if you remember, we used to take the, the team bus and go to the game. I said, okay, I'll get here. Team bus, team bus is gone. We mean it's gone. No, they're, they're beating the blizzard. Okay. Who's here? <laughs> there was one other reporter there, Jay Posner from the San Diego Union Tribune, a friend of mine. We were going together and he said, I waited for you. Okay. Might as well catch a cab. No cabs because the city was shut down. Finally got one. The guy came there and he says, you know what? I'm the only cab in the city that's running. So I can charge you anything I want. I said, okay, we got to get the game. We put our luggage in because we were going back that night on the team flight. You go from the, the game to the, the, the team bus, and then you take the team charter. So we carry our luggage in. But before we did, he charged us 50 bucks for about a 10-mile drive. And he said, I, I'll charge anyone. <laughs> okay, 50 bucks, whatever it is. So we walk in. We walk in, and it's a blizzard. There were 51,000 no-shows for that game. That was the smallest crowd in the history of Mile High since it had been <laughs> enlarged in 1977. Blizzard. They had 14 inches of snow when the game started, 20 degrees when the game started. When it ended, Winchell was 37 below. So we get in there, and just as we walk in, there's a guy, punt returner, um, who's I'm trying to think what his name was, uh, Ryan Clark, Ryan Clark for Denver. He catches the ball, goes 71 yards the other way. That was the beginning of the end, all downhill from there. Five interceptions for the Chargers, didn't score. They ended up losing 24 zippity doodah, and it ended with the Chargers, Rod Bernstein, throwing a punch and getting tossed. It was perfect. Six weeks earlier, however, guys, six weeks earlier, the Chargers were 8-1. and one. They had the best record in the NFL. Just so happens they lost their last six, and they were out of the playoffs. Ira, their season that, didn't, that, it, it didn't <laughs> just end in Denver. It got whited out in Denver. <laughs> That must have been one heck of a charter flight home, Mr. Judge. Oh, it didn't my leave goodness. that night. It didn't leave. They were snowed in. We left the oh, next boy. day. So it was a great oh, night to spend there. Ah, great. Yeah, that's good. So you, hey, got the right. same, you got the same cab driver. Brought you back to the hotel. <laughs> <laughs> Actually got the team charter for a change. Ira, you got some final thoughts for this Christmas week? Well, uh, here's my thought, Clark. You, you, we started with Gimme Shelter as our background music. We did. And I believe that is the theme song at one buck place this week ooh, ooh. for Bruce Arians. Clark, in the span of three hours, not, a not only did they lose a game at home and get shut out when they had a chance to win the division, yeah. but these serious injuries 
which will knock people out until the end of the regular season. Here comes Antonio Brown. Guess what, Clark? They're going to need him. They're going to need him in Carolina Sunday. Carolina's defense isn't bad, Clark. Not bad. And the Bucs just came off a shutout. They're pretty good. Not only here comes Antonio Brown, here comes Le'Veon Bell. Pretty soon you're going to reconstruct the 2016 Steelers. <laughs> ben Roethlisberger is going to be there before you know it. <laughs> hey, the only thing I want to say here, guys, and I, I'm just wondering what Ira's getting me for Christmas. I'm just wondering. Um, I ordered some coal from Amazon. It's, uh, it should arrive tomorrow. <laughs> that, that, that silence told me everything. Anyway, that's going hey, to do it. Happy holidays to everybody. Yeah, well, happy same to you. Just a reminder, if you want to hear more of our podcast, go to fullpresscoverage.com. Pull down the podcast icon and click on the eye test for two. Sound easy? Because it is very easy. Even Ira can do it. Thanks so much for listening. Have a wonderful Christmas, and Ira, start shopping. It's getting late early.